Yes. Sheldon Williams, that's him and his, his beautiful family. Sheldon's going to teach on his first chapter, on chapter 11. Sheldon is the manager. He does a whole lot of things. He goes in a lot of hats. He's an entrepreneur and, um, you know, he's, he grew up in really an awesome church that has, has really uh, raised up so many people in this city. Uh, Greater St. Stephen's, right? And, uh, and so he's... Um, manages Harbor Community Collective. And so we've gotten to know each other. He has a heart for, um, for the city. He has a heart for, for people. He's, he's like into transformation. So he was just really, and, and his wife and him are both a team. She does a lot of service work in the community. I think he'll talk a little bit about that. So um, I really am happy to have Sheldon as a guest tonight to be able to teach us on uh, chapter 10, and I'm going to get into, uh, I mean, chapter 11, and I'll teach on chapter 12. So without further ado, come on up, Sheldon. Let's give him a warm welcome. You look studious with those glasses, man. I'm only doing so I can see. <laughs> so it's just that one right there. Okay. Yeah. Thank you much. Right. Hi, y'all. I really appreciate it uh, being here. Thank you, Dean. Um, I won't say I'm nervous because I stood up in this space so many times to be nervous, I guess. Um, and I love an audience. I haven't found an audience I don't like. Sorry. I like the attention. Uh, <laughs> but uh, again, thank you for having me. I didn't know that you are going to find that great picture and put it up. But I love it. So, yeah, if, if, uh, if I can be completely honest, and that's, um, I'm really to hear it. <laughs> Uh, I believe that we can confess to one another and I can be healed. So a lot of this is my confession. Um, so when I originally read system, systemic, I was really, I was about to say it, systematic. And they do, the two words both have, have the same root word, which is system. And, um, but they are very different. So systematic does mean uh, done or acting according to a fixed plan or system. Systemic, you know, is different, so let's just talk about systemic poverty, is uh, it de describes it as something that most people are born into and their fate is dictated and controlled by it, which is kind of scary, right? Uh, so let's say all of us are really born into some form of systemic poverty. And I didn't know uh, how bad my poverty, which I'm gonna probably take the word poverty off the table for a minute and just put the word lack in its place. Um, because poverty is, is not only the lack of something, it's also the fear of lacking something, as Ed describes it. So just a little bit about, I did grow up in church, and, um, but I have to be honest that I don't remember, um, in my immaturity, I don't remember learning about the kingdom of God. I really believe that we were learning about our individual kingdoms and getting ourselves to a place uh, of ethereal heaven and not really grabbing anybody else to go along with this. Um, and like, that's why this book has really challenged my narrative because everything that I did was kind of geared around the Sunday experience. And early growing up, it was Sunday, it was Tuesday, it was Wednesday, and then back again on Sunday. But as I got older, I mean, I began producing services that were solely about the Sunday experience. So like this book 
when I say it challenges like what I think about ministry now um, and what I know to be ministry is much different. Uh, it is not solely about, you know, just showing up on a Sunday. Um, but it really is about uh, that daily walk. And I didn't realize that my wife does work uh, with, that I consider ministry work. So her work is to help mothers who are uh, in postpartum. And she does lactation consulting. She does a, a bunch of things. Uh, and we host some of that here in our building at the, for the New Orleans Breastfeeding Center. But it, realized, it showed me that they, she is actively working to make sure that mothers live uh, postpartum and like during the process and make sure that the babies are healthy. Uh, so yeah, and so yeah, mom, and even though my, my mom did raise me to pray, and I want to be honest too that I look at prayer sometimes as a chore. And I didn't... Um, and the first scripture that I remember praying was Isaiah 53 and 5, like, I want to pray over your dad. Is, you know, he said he was wounded for, our, uh, for his transgressions, for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace, our collective peace is upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. So I prayed it over your dad as well, like that healing. Man, the centurion, man, I, I thought, when we were praying, I thought about the centurion. He was like, you don't have to show up, Jesus. He's like, just send your word. And that's what we're doing tonight. We're just we're asking God to just send His Word to the ICU for that healing, um, and that He would um, that He would walk, He would move, He would be active, He would do everything that God has still intended for Him to do. And this is just you know this is like this is part of His testimony. So, man, all right, this is good. So let's talk about the four lacks. And the, man, there are th- three of these I grew up with, and I didn't know it until I I felt like Ed himself became a therapist and I was sitting on his sofa because I didn't know and I still so spiritual relational and motivational I'm I'm gonna talk about so he said the first one knowing God as a father he said I have seen God in relation to my father well well, this is me I'm sorry I've always seen God in relation to my father so I didn't have an active father in my life so I never when we sing the song he's a good good father it's like man who is this person we're talking about because I didn't have a good, good father growing up. So, like, I still see God, and I, I hate, I'm, I'm admitting this to so you guys could, to know what to pray for when you pray for me. So I want to see God as the father that I didn't grow up with. I want to see him as the person who, you know, picked me up on the weekend and, you know, brought me to my favorite place or just, you know, spent time with me daily, like what I do, try to do with my children now. Uh, so, and I really, I had no clue, and I you know, I had no clue what a father was. And so I'm still constantly learning what that is. So, and relational. I call that the me versus we. Being consumed with ourselves opposed to being consumed with others. Um, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later on. In a, uh, but I have this saying that dads eat last. Dads eat last. We'll, we'll come back to that. So motivational. Do I have the mental fortitude to be and live as God sees me? So because I don't see, if I don't see God as a father and I, don't, and I don't see my identity attached to him, do I have the mental fortitude to get up and do what God has designed me to do? So which means that we have to, for three, we have to connect back to one and two. Uh, and so, and material, that's the one thing I did grow up with. Like my mother, uh, man, she worked so hard and designed a life for me that I'd never had material lack. So it's also what I do now. I try to make sure my children, just like every father, right? I try to make sure my child has no material lack. Like, they always have their food. They have 
good clothes, clean clothes, everything that a good parent wants to do for their child. That's what I'm actively doing to make sure, you know, my child has the material things that they need. So I want to talk about, and if you, can, you see it better here, so I was literally robbed of the confidence I needed to access my God-given power. Um, so I, I, I worked at a place, and just like, just like Ed talks about, I worked at a place hoping to not be the place. And I was just hoping, like I was hoping to not turn into the place. Like, I just wanted to walk away clean every day. And so, which means I was never actively working to transform that nation. Because I was, I did not use the power that God had given me. So, I convinced myself I was there to make a difference, get powerless to do so. So, opposed to praying that the Holy Spirit would empower me, I prayed for a way out. And he gave it to me. Because um, I talk about this when dads eat last. But I believe our father, um, he'll give us what we want, even though it may not be what we need. I believe that sometimes fathers, sometimes they'll answer the request of their children, even when it may not be to their best interest. But I'm going to be honest, like I really want to be in full-time ministry, which is why I'm here today. But I do have, like, my, now my ministry is, uh, it's, man, I tell you, it's, it's just kind of defining, it's kind of uh, clarifying what it, what it means to me and my family. And I think it makes sense, but I, I would talk about it a little bit more. So there are just a couple of things that I call the fruit of system, systemic poverty in NOLA. So greed, nepotism, crime, poor education, broken government, abortion, low birth outcomes, and food disparities. And those are just like a few of them. So like if we talked about all of the fruit that it kind of existed in New Orleans, we see fruit, and, but we never know, like I mean, of course we know what it's attached to, but so just something like, so in New Orleans, greed shows up in our wages and the desire to have more. So Louisiana's minimum wage right now is 725. So from a study from rents from 2016 to 2019, a person or household who have a currently who currently make 1686 to afford a fair market rental two bedroom apartment is 877. So if they make 725, they couldn't afford a two bedroom apartment, and that's just part. So it's the fruit of the root of what I consider greed. Um, so also, also most places in New Orleans are food deserts. There may be a corner store but not access to healthy fruits and vegetables. The biggest food disparity are what we desire to eat because we suffer from the lack of knowledge. So like, try to see, the best way for me to explain is that, man, I could have Popeyes or I can go, for me, go eat this vegan food, right? I can go have the cauliflower wings or I can have the real wings. One of them is gonna be better for my body and the other won't. So what I'm getting is that, so like, because our people in New Orleans are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, they've rejected the knowledge, so which means they eat the poor stuff. I'm not hating on anybody who eats Popeyes, but, so, but we don't feed ourselves, we don't feed what we, we, we don't eat what we should be eating, like we eat what we desire, opposed to eating what we need. So I wanna talk about some of the, the work my wife does, so which means I actually stole this slide from her. <laughs> uh, it's something like my wife spends 
hours upon hours on Zoom calls, and I get to hear all of this stuff when I don't want to. But so black women face significantly higher maternal mortality rate. Uh, so, so infant mortality is the death of an infant before reaching the age of one. The infant mortality rate indicates the number of deaths per 1,000 live births. The United States infant mortality rate is 5.8. While this does not meet the HP 2020 goal of six, of goal of six, according to the ranking supplied by the CIA World Factbook, the United States is 55th when compared to 225 other developed nations. This puts our nation behind many countries, such as Japan, Bermuda, the United Kingdom, Lithuania, and Cuba. So like across our state, too many women and families are suffering from experiencing the loss and trauma during their pregnancy and births. Louisiana ranks 47th out of 48th reported births in our state. So in, for, infant, for, sorry, for infant maternal mortality ranks 40th. So which means that out of our state, babies are the 40s, are dying at a higher rate. So we're the 47th out of 48. So women are dying, black women are dying, the 40th out of 48. And this is all happening in our state. And the reason I, I really wanted to bring that up because it, it shows relational lack. It shows the, the disconnection that when mothers approach uh, the person who's designed to help them, um, they're met with, you don't know what you're talking about when they know what they're experiencing in their own bodies. So which means if a mother shows up to the ER after having birth and uh, the, the person doesn't trust what they're saying, that means that they put their thought higher than the thought of the person that they're serving. So, and that's like, that's, it's just, we're gonna try to tie all of this together, but like it's, I see it as a relational lack. Okay, I might wrap up soon. So what does transformation look like in New Orleans? New Orleans transformation must be tangible, a premier social indicator in the elimination of systematic, sorry, did it again, systemic poverty. So what does that look like for us? It means we is greater than me, which is our, our, our we're thinking holistic. Daily, it's a predictable occurrence like Ed talks about and bread is our resource. So, and I, I wanted to, like, man, I had this thought, like, if you've ever, if you ever heard the old hymn that the world is hungry for the living bread, uh, and it, it just brought me to the scripture when it said, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So what does that mean for us? Because like we, we know now, now all of us know the knowledge because we know it now we're held accountable for it. So how do we feed the other hungry people that we meet uh, on a daily basis? Like what does that look like for us? How do we start tying together that we are designed to heal the systemic poverty in our nation, which is New Orleans, our Judea? and then go into our Samaria, which is Louisiana. How, how do we tie it together? And the, the most rational thing was, to me, was that we could just start feeding people so we can gain their influence. Like, and how do we physically feed them? Like, how do we, we have to figure out how do we physically feed people to gain the influence so we could share our faith with them. And 
I mean, of course, that we should be reaching out to our, our mayor, who is the head of our, Pastor Cantrell, she's the head of our city. So we should be reaching out to her so she could be actively inviting God in so God can come into New Orleans. And then, you know, we should be, man, like I said, you're like, I, I've neglected prayer. Like, I haven't used prayer as uh, the source I should. So, like, we should all be doing that. Um, so I wanted to ask the question, like, what miracles do you want to experience? Do you want New Orleans to experience? Um, and, like, man, if COVID can go away right now, that would be great, right? Because if New Orleans succeeds, the church succeeds. So we have to figure out, well, we don't have to figure out. We just need to know what to be praying about in order so New Orleans can get what it needs and how we can actively do our part in that. And, I mean, I mentioned just some of the other, you know, things that I see as the fruit of the root. How can we actively be working against the greed, the nepotism, crime, poor education, broken government, abortion, low birth outcomes, food disparities? Can you, in the position that you're in right now and wherever you work, how can you help shape some of those conversations so that those things all decrease? We want all of those things to decrease. Um, so <laughs> that's my talk, Transformation for, New World, for NOLA. Thank y'all. Appreciate it. Well, I would like to say something to you, Sheldon, is I've seen you as a father, and you're an awesome father. Thank you. Because the way I know that you're an awesome father is the way they look at you, and the way they want you, and the way they cleave to you, and the joy that they have when they're with you. There's nothing that you don't know about fatherhood because you're doing it. You may not have received it, but you're doing it. And that will never change because of the love in your heart that you have for those children. And the thing that makes you understand is because you know what you didn't receive. And when you didn't receive it, you know that you need to give it. So it's from the neglect that we become awesome parents if we'll honor the truth. It doesn't mean we have to blame them for not being who they were. That's between them and God. We have to forgive them. But because of the neglect, we know exactly what they need because we didn't get it. So I want to honor you as a father because I do love you and I do believe that this is your ministry. I know you might have a lot more, but when we came here for Harbor, you, the way you talked to us, the way you dealt with us, and the way you connect all of us here. Because I think that's one of the, the, the delusions I had. I thought the church all got along. I didn't realize that they were at war or competing with one another. And how you've been able to do that here at Harbor and not feel like somebody's on somebody's territory. You know, like, you know, they, it's a family. We may not be all where we want to be, but I think because of your heart that this ministry here will be replicated through the United States because it's very powerful. And I do love you. <laughs>